Hidden in plain sight captures stories of the rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire. As well as the more well-known and recognised names, we also wanted to hear from everyday people. This includes those living, working, raising families and running businesses in the local community. Not everyone who identifies as belonging to the rainbow community is visible. So to our listeners in Hidden in Plain Sight, we'd like to introduce a dear friend of mine, Bob White. Welcome to our table, Bob, for Thank our you. conversation. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Rosie. Good to Good. have you here. Excellent, yeah. yeah. So what we're doing is just asking people from the Rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire, mainly around here at the moment, if they'd like to share their story of how they ended up in Trentham, how their involvement in the Rainbow community. What we're sort of looking at the oral histories of, and I say Rainbow because it's all encompassing rather than LGBTIQA plus, plus and whatever mm. comes next. So just... Yeah, anything you'd like to tell us about your life, your where you were raised, your story that you'd like to share. Right. Well, I came to Trentham with my partner Kirk Bradbury. We um, decided that we were going to um, to live together around about the year two thousand. Uh, the question was where we were going to live. Kirk was a bit keen to go back to where he came from, which was Nagambi. Oh. And he still had a sister living there, yeah. and still has actually. I uh, was a bit worried about that. I thought that the country was perhaps a bit redneck, but also I didn't particularly want to go to an area which was his home in a sense mm. uh, and not not mine. So we decided that we were going to go somewhere neutral, but out of Melbourne. And uh, we didn't want to be too far out of Melbourne because I still had family in Melbourne. And um, Trentham was a place which I first discovered for around about 1965, I would say. Gosh, it would have been very different then. Yes, very different, but yeah. I, I've always been a bit interested in, in Trentham and um, we looked around and happened to see a house which um, we could afford and so... Uh, and that you both liked, we presumably. Decided we bought it. We, I shouldn't say it, perhaps. We even, because the house had been on the market for a while, which was one of the things which I'd known because I'd come through here... Uh, late in 2000 and seen this house and was interested and um, we, we, we did look around the place, Glen Lyon and a few other areas, mostly around the Dalesford area without yeah. looking at Dalesford itself and so that's how we happened to see a house which we um, liked. We actually beat the price down by about five thousand dollars and it always helps doesn't it yeah, always and that uh, was year 2000 uh yes yeah, so year 2000 and we and i shifted in on um anzac day 2001 uh kirk had to sell his house in mount evelyn that took a little while to do and he ended up here in june of that year wow. mm. So we, you'd both stopped working by then? 
Kirk had stopped working. Uh, I hadn't. I was still working one or two days a week in Melbourne mm. and travelled backwards and forwards doing mm. that. So what was Trentham like in 2000? It, it was, I think, a very friendly place. You acknowledged everybody who you saw walking down the street or almost driving cars. You either waved, said hello. You mightn't have said much more than that, but you always smiled and said hi. Right. It would have been a much smaller community than what it is now. A smaller community. And the Trentham pub, which I see is getting a bit of publicity at the moment, which used to be the plough, was a, a friendly... Local. Just honest Australian pub. It sure was, wasn't it? I would <laughs> yeah. miss that pub. And I'd love to go back to that sort of pub. Yeah, so yeah. would I, Bob. I'd love to see a, a good old school pub come back to Trentham. Mm. Yeah. How did you and Kirk meet? We met at St Mark's Church in Fitzroy on All Saints Day. In, That's um, the first of November, isn't night, it? Hmm? Is that the first of November, All Saints Day? Y- yes, it okay. is. <laughs> Very well, well done. It was the first of yeah. November. Sorry, if uh, <laughs> They had a special service there for um, renovations which had been done, and a friend of mine was a regular attender there, and he invited me there. Yeah. It, it was quite a big occasion. There was a lunch after the church and you sat around the grounds and you sort of were on available seats and so on. And Kirk came up and sat next to me. I was actually sitting next to another guy um, and uh, who I knew. And uh, Kirk just came up and sat next to me and started talking. And... <laughs> Uh, I decided that in about 10 minutes I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. <laughs> oh, Bob. He took much longer. Oh, what was Kirk's response? <laughs> well, he, his partner of 27 years had mm. died just two or three years earlier and he was just recovering and coming back into society, I think, yeah. just about. And, um, and after that, well, we swapped addresses but and phone numbers and so on, and uh, I didn't hear from him. He played hard to get, Bob. He was. <laughs> um, and I said to my friend Trevor, who went to that church, yes, all of you, let me know uh, if he comes to the so church. So did Kirk go to that church? Was that St Mark's? No, he went very occasionally oh, right. to that church. He, he lived in um, out near Lilydale, oh. Mount Evelyn. So he just came in occasionally, uh, and I didn't regularly go to that church anyway. I usually went to Wesley Church in Melbourne, in the Trobe, no, Longstone Street. So anyway, the message eventually got through and we met and we had long discussions, I think almost every Sunday, uh, we had walks around Fitzroy um, and Collingwood, and talked, and talked, and, and talked. talked. <laughs> yes, Bob. <laughs> there was a lot of talking. Yes, 
Well, Kirk was a pretty good talker. Yes, and we eventually decided that um, we would um, get together. And how beautiful, because Kirk was a really special man, and you're a special man. So what a great combination. He was, in many ways, a lot different from me, he, yeah. but he had so many interesting and varied interests, perhaps mm. put it that way, yeah. from you know the Richard the Third Society, the Flag Society of Australia. Right. He was still preparing a um, a catalogue of the, um, the the signs of local government. Anyway, the um, the, the arms, the the coat of arms of every local government thing in, in Australia and New Zealand. He was interested in that Yeah, sort of thing, oh, well, he was interested in so many things, but that was the current well, interest. He, had, he was say. a real intellect, Kurt, wasn't he? Oh, he was. He was the type of guy who, um, had he wished to, you know, would have been able to get a PhD in about eight different areas. He could talk on a lot of different topics mm. and have a great conversation. Mm. Bless him, because yeah, we absolutely. miss him, don't we? Mm. Yeah, we miss him. Yeah. He was a beautiful man. Had a lot to do with Spudfest, Kirk, didn't he? Well, he and I, you yeah. sort of... Uh, I, I think it was really originally my idea, but he worked much as a... As partners as do. Mm. Yeah, they jump on board and end up and right in for the ride. Mm. Yeah. So when, what year was it that you met? You moved up here in 2000. We met, we, well, we met in 1998. Yeah, sort okay, of, a, of years effectively before. we were together, I guess, by about the end of, uh, well, beginning of 1999. And you just knew. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky I met you both together, and now I've had the privilege of meeting your entire family. But this is a big question, Bob, and feel free not to answer it, but because you had a, a family in a heterosexual relationship with children and you had a wonderful life in Melbourne. When did you know you were gay? About three or four years after I got married. Yeah, wow. Did that come as a shock to you? Was it something that...? Uh, well, a, a bit of yes and no. It, it, it came about because um, I saw a, a book in an office of a member of parliament in Canberra, and, yes, and I knew a number of members of parliament, and, and I saw this book called Homosexual, which was written by Dennis Altman, who's a name fairly well known in gay community and yeah. so on. Uh, and I read the book uh, because I knew Dennis, uh, and I'd met him two or three times, just sort of... Um, when I read the book, I realised it was describing me. <laughs> did that come as a shock to you? Well it, well, it did. I knew I had different feelings. Yeah. And I thought that I would just have to adjust those feelings to a heterosexual world, I guess. <laughs> um, and I guess to an extent I did. But I realised that really wasn't the true area of my sexuality. Yeah, 
that would have been difficult when it came to having a family already and then the impact that they may have had therefore on them and how that came about. So how would it come about you introducing a new partner to your family? How did that go down? Uh, well, I, I, I guess first of all, I um, spoke to um, my two children separately and um, told them that I was gay. I guess that was the first yeah, thing. Wow. And then the second thing was because I didn't really tell them that until I decided that uh, Kirk and I were going to live together. And uh, so then it was introduced. My daughter probably took it better than my son, but... Um, Forgive me, Bob, but I'm just doing some math here. I'm, it's not my forte, <laughs> let me just say. There might be some gaps here. So we, yeah, we, we know what happens when we do math. And play the music, <laughs> Um So it was Kirk that you told your family about. I'm lucky enough to know both your family and Kirk, so I know how your family has adapted and is so supportive of you right now in your life. But if you worked out three years into your marriage, how old were you when you and Kirk hooked up? What was the How gap? long that afterwards? That was the gap, yeah. There's oh, a, yeah, well, there's a 13 you, or 14 year gap, I think, in there. Okay, of course, I'm going back to 98. I, this, um, I know mm. the difference between... So you'd been married for three years and when yeah. you realised? Mm. And yeah. you had two kids by then? Yes. Yeah. And they would have been really little. Mm. Toddlers yes. would, and they're... Mm. So they've grown up and into adults, and their father tells them that he's gay. And did you leave the marriage at that point, or uh, had you left prior? I had left the marriage through five years prior to that. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like it was a pretty confusing time. Was that hard for you to go through that? Uh, yes. Yeah. It was. You sort of. I. I even when I left the marriage, you sort of. I. I still kept in touch. Mostly with the children. Yeah. Um, so I had, and indeed, uh, I was in a flat by myself. Um, my daughter had had some problems, I think, with her mother, and she actually came and lived with me for you know a, a few weeks whilst things were sorted out. Well, things calmed down. Daughter, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Gone to bed. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got no idea story. whether they had any idea of my sexuality at that so, point. Uh, I'm getting the feeling that it wasn't the biggest part in your life at that point. You obviously had a career and all these other things that you had to juggle and manage and sexuality, although you knew that you were gay, it obviously wasn't the biggest part of what was going on for you. Yeah, I, I guess that that's fair enough. I guess I did have some sexual activity, but that with um, with gays, you know, sort of. But yeah. that was not a, 
a big part of my life, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it wasn't a public thing. It was thing, a, occasional. Right. I'm, I'm curious, you, you said before that you saw the book when you were in Canberra. How were you in Canberra? So you were living in Melbourne, was it? I was li- living in Melbourne, Wait, what, but what, I, what I, I, I was working for a minister in the Whitlam government. Ah, what was that? Could you repeat that, Bob, sorry? Working for a minister. Gotcha. I was yeah. his principal private secretary, you sort of... Um, the, a minister in the... Whit- a, whit- a minister of the Whitlam government, yes. And where did that lead to? Canberra. Well, it led me to working in Canberra. And reading a book about homosexuals. (laughs) (laughs) And many. You've got another quite established political career. Are you happy to talk about that? I'm talking about you being the mayor of Brunswick. Oh, yes. Well, I was on Brunswick Council. Well, I, I was always very much involved in the Labor Party from the time that I was 21 and uh, which included being state president of the Young Labor Association and... uh, Did being gay impact on any way your political career? I I suppose I've probably got to say I didn't let it because I assumed that at that time that it was not the most engaging thing for any political advancement if you would you say because there was shame attached to it or that there Um, was was the closeted lack of of knowledge than than anything um you know um, i was on brunswick council for for six years and um, had a term as mayor of brunswick And the mayoress was your know, sort of my still then wife. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't impact in any negative way your career yeah. at that point. Well, be, because it was it not. Wasn't yeah. a physical part of yeah. who you were. I mean, it it, it was had barely been made legal. To absolutely, at that time. Yeah, yeah. What year was it decriminalised? First in South Australia. Um, yeah. And I knew a few of the people who were involved with doing it. Right? Cheers. Thank you for that, Bob. <laughs> Peter yeah. Duncan and um, Don Dunstan, right? Oh, who yeah, I both yeah. knew. Yeah. And so then, how long did it take to get to Victoria? It was certainly after that, but it was, I think maybe in the Hamer government that it happened. It would never have happened under Henry Bolte, but Hamer was a person with more small-l liberal ideas anyway. And that would have been, I think, late in the 1970s Mm. and probably just before 1980. Gosh, that's a good habit. Good things happened in the last oh, Well, with the government, I have to say. I was born. <laughs> that too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bob, I love hearing your stories. I've known so much of your life by being invited to celebrations of yours, whether it be your birthdays or stuff like that. And I love hearing your stories. Is there anything that you want to share with Rosie and I, whether it's something that we don't know 
or something that something that you want to share? Just that I, I, I guess I wish that it had all happened a lot earlier. Um, it's quite possible then that I might have not have had children. Yeah, right. I wouldn't know your beautiful kids then, which so, we're very grateful for. I, yeah, so I, I feel awkward about that. We've had it that, is. It's yeah. a weird concept, yeah. though, that that's something that you would wish for because it's that's not a bad thing to wish for or to wonder what it would have been like. But I guess we get excited that for the next generations, they're never going to have to worry about this, are they? And now you're sort of, in, interestingly, because I, they're close neighbours of mine, are two gay guys who have got a young child. Yep. And they, they live less than 100 metres from me. And it, last week we spoke to Nat and Moz. Three daughters. Nothing. They've got three girls. Um, but it was a similar thing. It's, that, it's those parallel lives, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. If you had been able to go down the path of being who you were earlier, then you wouldn't have had, had the children. And that was the, but you wouldn't give up your children. Yeah. No, but of course you wouldn't. That's no. an interesting conundrum. Yeah, mm. because if you think back to being legal, to having equal uh, rights and to being able to have same-sex partners and children, then, yeah, would this have progressed to where you are now or would it have all changed back then for you and it would have been a different path? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I know. But we can't change the past and we can only be grateful for it. And grateful, I guess, to people like you in politics that made small adjustments to pave the way and to make it okay for things to change. Yeah? Were there any major breakthroughs while you were in politics, other than obviously the last few years, which we've been driven the equality, the yes vote, uh, we spoke about decriminalisation a while back. No, I, I don't think so, because at that stage I wasn't out. Yeah. I, but do you wish you could have been? Yes, I, I do. I, while I was mayor, I was um, lucky enough to um, invite the, the mayor of Fitzroy over for lunch. And I guess I felt a bit awkward about it in a sense because he was out. Uh, um, and yeah. um, yes, well, I got on very well. I met probably a few other people who I think were like me, closeted. Yeah. But he was one who you know, sort of I could admire very greatly because um, he was out and obvious. Uh, I didn't any... feel that in the middle of all that that I could out myself. Yeah. That came a lot later. Well, I guess when you've got so many people around you that, based on that information, are immediately affected. I mean, you're not just talking about you saying I'm gay. It then has an impact on your wife, your children, mm -hmm. and you have to consider that, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it makes the decision more difficult. 
Yeah, well, I I came out to my children first. I did uh, against the advice of my closest friend at that <laughs> time, who was Trevor Williams. I don't know whether you ever met Trevor. I would have at your 80th, maybe. Well, he was supposed to be there and wasn't. Because well, then I didn't meet well. Trevor because <laughs> I was so there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he was somebody who I had discussed lots of things with. And he advised me not to come out to my wife, but I disagreed and didn't yeah. come out to her. And that would have taken a great... A lot of courage, I imagine. Yeah, um, but I was I was certainly glad that I did, and I guess you know, virtually from then on, things improved in relationship to my ex-wife. Yeah, well, right, because you guys talk, you you are friends now, aren't you? Yeah, we we are friends. We probably talk every two or three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, there would have been a reason you got together in the first place. Yeah. There's a companionship yeah. at least. Mm. Yeah. I've got another avenue to go down. And I'll start with a story. And then back in the 70s in New Zealand, I was a teenager and I wasn't out. But my father was a vestry man. He was actually a, what do you call it? Anyway, so we're in the Anglican Church in New Zealand. And they were going through, he used to go to Synod. And they were, one of the things they were, going to vote on was allowing gay priests, gay ministers in the church. Oh, wow, and so the I, Anglican church is the well Anglican, advanced, Oh, well advanced in New yeah. Zealand. And, and so I used to hear a lot of this when I was still at high school, and I kind of knew, but I didn't know, but I was very close. Oh, well, I wasn't out. And, and it was really interesting, and, and actually it probably made it easier for me in some ways because I could hear my father's attitude, which was... He had no idea he had a gay daughter, yeah. but that was like he's very kind and trying to work out what was the best way for the church. So, you you've had a long association with is it the Anglican Church here, mm. presumably from before you came out when you were married and through your whole life. How has that played out for you as coming out as a gay man? Well. I guess I, I wasn't Anglican until I came to Trentham. Oh, weren't you? Oh, you said Wesleyan. I was Wesleyan, yes. So, what's the difference? Methodist. Oh, okay. Methodist, or unite then, became the uniting church. Branded with the Catholic brush. Mm. Oh, is so, Oh, God. Oh, well, I went to an Anglican high school. So. Oh, no, Catholic girl school. Yeah. So, so I've, I've been. Because um, oh, they were a lot. More tolerant, weren't they? Yes. Well, you know, um, the the priest here was was Bishop John John Stewart, um, and um, and he was quite accepting, um, and um, and any of the other priests who've been here have always have all been accepting. Mm. Here in Trentham, mm. oh, that meant amazing. Mm. Yeah, All which is quite different. Quite different to some areas, yes. uh, even, even in the diocese of um, of Bendigo. Yeah, sort of um, when she, when the the conservative area north. It's all right, of, they're not going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> the conservative area <laughs> north of um, 
of Bendigo, you sort of would be mostly this, accepting that you know, um, Bendigo itself, you know, and by no number of gay people mm. associated with the Anglican Church, you know, in Bendigo, are much more accepting. Because you're talking about being at St Mark's and Fitzroy, which is a very gay-friendly yeah. parish. Yeah. Mm. Know the lingo. I know the lingo. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it wasn't your home parish because you're. No, it going wasn't. To the but I, the I did go there occasionally, partly because this friend of mine, Trevor, went there, and um, um, and another still friend of mine, yeah, sort of, you know, John Thorne used to go there oh, as well. Yeah. That's the first, first time I met him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, have you ever found a conflict between? The Christian religion and your own way of life, or has that been okay for you? I haven't had much difficulty as far as that's yep. concerned. Um, you've got... I know there's a lot of difficulty in the background and so on. But, yeah, um, I love hearing that though, no. because it's what you make of it, isn't mm. it? Because mm. I think, um, you know, Peter Sherlock's just put out the book about the history of St George's, yeah. and the first person mentioned is actually Kirk, mm. who was your partner, and, yes. and you're there, uh, you're the sacristan. Yes, uh, and, and so we are mentioned before. within that book yes. as partners, yes. Yeah. Which is, to me, was pretty amazing. Okay. Mm. If these walls could speak, yes. we're going to um, plug... Peter Sherlock's historical book of... Well, I thought it was a very good history. Yeah. And very interesting and very open about, not just about you and Kirk, but mm. about, about a few things when you actually read it. Mm. And I've always been curious, being a lapsed Anglican. I can relate, absolutely, because... And this is my story, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to take over, but I've got quite a chip on my shoulder. Maybe it's the Catholic and the staunch stuff that comes with Catholicism, but when I moved to Trentham, I guess in ignorance, I didn't realise there were so many different facets of religion, whether it be Anglican, Baptist, you know, all the stuff that, and I real, I thought everyone kind of fell under the same umbrella and judged me the same way. And then I met the people of the Trentham Parish, um, Charles and Peter, Reverend Mel, Maria Ford, Bob White, Kirk, Jeff Hood, and I'm just like, there's not a single judging bone in this bloody room. Like, these people are just so beautiful. What is it? What is it that I've been taught about myself? It makes me feel so judged when they, I've never been judged by these people in my like in my time in Trentham. If anything, supported a thousandfold. Yeah, but the. And I think you've referred to it about north of Bendigo. <laughs> but, you know, different parishes, different dioceses, quite a different feel. And, and you listen to the news and some of the, you know, like just having female ministers. When I first came to Australia, New Zealand already had the Anglican Church, I'm talking because that was my background, female ministers coming out of your ears. We had um, Dawn French, oh, <laughs> the vicar of Dibley. And, and Australia was still arguing whether you should allow women to be priests, vicars, yeah. whatever. And it's like, really? 
That's Angel and Bob's daughter, Nat, that have just sent a message. What are they doing together? Oh, they've, they've got a drag show <laughs> thing on tonight. Nat, see? She's just gorgeous. We love Nat. She's a really special chick. Um, and Brendan. Brendan was very reserved when I met him, and he's come a long way. Mm. He's, you know, have a point to that room because you last time you were dining together was out there and I he's not worried about what's going on around him anymore he's just engaging with his dad now and that's what I noticed which was a really beautiful thing because I know a while back he struggled yeah well he's got very close gay friends actually who live the other side of the world but um, uh, and who I've met and, um, you know, uh, that went back oh, before 2000 anyway. That was in the middle 1990s or something or other. So, yeah. So, that helps. That helps when someone's got gay friends. It's funny, isn't it, when it matters that someone has a close connection that happens to be gay. All of a sudden it makes it an easier path for everyone else that they meet. But it wasn't well, so put... easy for you. You had to prove yourself. But having friends of your kids that were gay, that was okay. It just wasn't okay for you. Mm. You know? Mm. That would have been difficult to deal with. Yes. Yep. Indeed. Absolutely. Mm. Bob, thank you so much for doing this interview. And I'm sorry if it's bringing up some stuff for you, but I'm so grateful to have the conversation Thank you so much. And you don't have to say any more if you don't want to. We'd love to keep talking. Yeah, yeah well, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk with something else. Well, were you a chemist? Someone told me it was that you. Yeah, you're a pharmacist. Yes, I, yes, I, I knew yeah, that I'm, too. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that. People are mostly talking about pharmacists rather than chemists these oh. days. Oh, <laughs> Pardon. But why? But, oh, just the pharmacist, I think, is a better... Being a chemist could involve you in lots of things, you sort of... Because lots of companies, I guess, who deal with things have people who are qualified in in chemistry, uh, industrial ah, okay. chemists. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, as sort distinct of dodgy from thing. a pharmaceutical well, I'm not a chemistry brain. Yeah. So pharmacy, when did you, you... That's early career for you, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah. That goes back to, I guess, the start of um, my qualification was 1954. Holy hell. <laughs> I wasn't born then either. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm used to her not being born. (laughs) (laughs) And was that in Melbourne? And in Melbourne, yes. Yes. Whereabouts did you go to school? Uh, Secondary, I went to Warrnambool High School, then Camberwell High School, then Melbourne High School. I went to Melbourne High School. Hmm? You're Melbourne Boys High. I am, yes. Uh, because Campbell High didn't do matriculation or, or um, tertiary qualification yeah. in those days, so I had to go to Melbourne. So where did you grow up if you started at Warrnambool? I, well, I grew up in Warrnambool. Oh. Your family were in Warrnambool? 
Yes. Then you went to school there. I went to school there. And then when did you move to Melbourne? That was for study, was it? Yes, yeah. My parents, my father was a teacher at the technical school in Wollongong, and he uh, felt that I was wouldn't get a good enough education in Warrnambool uh, and he was quite right you know, sort of I think if I'd done matriculation there there would have been three people doing it in those days okay somebody tells me what the hell is matriculation well matriculation was was university entrance oh what let it's me just VCE. say VCE VCE okay equivalent equivalent yeah. yes it was called matriculation why was it called days? matriculation well, that's what it was called before it was called yeah, HSE and uh, and then I guess VC. Matriculation was a, a around the world that was the term. Yeah, I think like it that. went from mm. HSE to VCE. No. I did VCE. Yeah, in, 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 in those days, you yeah, sort of most people didn't, didn't get yeah. on to do a tertiary qualification. So did you have to go to boarding school, or were you? No, did family... my, my father uh, shifted from Warrnambool to um, Swinburne Technical School, it was then, before it was university. Yeah. Um, and ran the machine shop there. And so we shifted Your to Melbourne. I, I actually, I came down, I think, six weeks before my parents did and lived with people in um, Hawthorne's um, a guy who used to be a teacher with my father in Warrnambool yep. and his son was the same age as me and um, uh, we rode our bikes just sort of from Hawthorne to Campbell High School. And then did you go to Melbourne Uni after that to do pharmacy? Or? No, I went to the Victorian College of Pharmacy, which used to be in Swanston Street. Oh, oh my uh, gosh, so you got on Swanston Street? Uh, between La Trobe Street and um, I'm not sure whether it's Franklin Street. It's now part of the RMIT, yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it was in the middle of the block, opposite the Oxford Hotel. You knew the pub. <laughs> and in those days, I didn't drink. Okay. So I never went in the Oxford oh. pub, I don't think. No. Yeah. Uh, in those days. Yes. Cheers, Bob. <laughs> so you knew back then that you wanted to be a pharmacist? That was your career choice? If you went straight into... Um, yes, I, I, I guess in those days you didn't have... The, the school didn't do any career advice yeah. at all. I I know my, my best subjects weren't actually in that area, although I qualified in chemistry, you sort of, um, and so on. But I failed physics. <laughs> and I did much better in history subjects and social studies. Yep. Yeah. Indeed, the social studies teacher ultimately became Premier of Victoria. Oh, wow. Who was that? It was after Hamer, uh, Thompson was briefly Premier and then beaten by John Kane. Oh, okay. So, so why pharmacy? Yeah. Is that what? Why pharmacy? Well, I'm not quite sure why I decided on pharmacy, but um, 
I knew somebody who was two or three years older than me who'd done it and and I thought that if you wanted to be a lawyer or anything else mm. you had to do Latin and so on and I couldn't do Latin did French and, and I wasn't good at French anyway. <laughs> wasn't languages with you? No, languages aren't my so, thing either. So you worked as a pharmacist for mm. several years? Well, I guess overall I essentially worked in pharmacy for the almost the whole of my life except that I had two and a half years off working um, for a government minister. So your main career was pharmacy, mm. most of your working oh, life. But then you, how sorry, did you end in, up... In between, I decided I was going to be a Methodist minister. And so I had four years off from pharmacy, uh, did an honours arts degree in <laughs> politics. <laughs> Oh, politics. <laughs> in politics, Not yeah. Theology. Well, I, uh, no, well, I was doing both at the same <sighs> time, but yeah. I, I did fairly well in my first year of uh, trying to think. I think it was just called politics then, and they asked me to do an honours degree in it, and, which I did. Wow. And, and so I had time off then, and yeah. but then I went back to pharmacy after that. What changed your mind? I decided that I didn't want to get involved in the politics of the then of, of Methodist the church. church. Yes, yeah. I might as well do politics in the real world. <laughs> You're part of the Labor, a member of the Labor Party all through? You said yeah, well, I, I joined that when I was about 21, I think. And stayed in? Uh, while I was yeah. still doing pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that about you, Paul. I didn't know that, that that was a pathway that you actually wanted to, or that you looked into. Yeah. Was that before your, fa before your family or after? Oh, yeah, be way before family. Way, yeah, mm. Wow. Mm. yeah, I, I decided I, I wanted to change halfway through the pharmacy thing. But my father um, insisted, strongly advised anyway, that I should finish pharmacy first and then do whatever I wanted to do because he never finished a diploma. He was, I think, three quarters of the way through and then he got this job to run the machine shop in Waterball and then never got around for all sorts of reasons to finishing his diploma and he always felt that held him back on maybe becoming an inspector. At one point, he, I know he applied, but he didn't have a mm, diploma. And so that affected his thinking and he sort of said, well, I'll finish that first and then do whatever he wants. Mm. So I agreed with advice. him and did it. <laughs> yeah. Do your parents know you're gay? Uh, I wouldn't think so. Certainly not my mother. She might have had guesswork, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> she may have guessed, yeah. Um, Most mums do. My, They're pretty switched on. My father, I never discussed it, but, but, but my father met Kirk on a few occasions. He wasn't introduced as my husband or, or, yeah. or anything, but he certainly did meet Kirk. Mm. 
And Kirk came to his funeral, not the father and know anything from no. that, but right. Do you think that your dad would have been okay with that? That's a good question. I half suspect it would have been better with my father than with my mother, but um, that would be guesswork. Yeah. Oh, well, mm. I just wanted, I, it was just a question I was curious about. Mm. Why do you think your father over your mum? I, I think my father had a, a broader sense of a difference or than my, my mother who sort of came from a very conservative family when my father's family was much less conservative. My grandfather was a good railways man and a good trade union man and I think he sort of had a a broader sense of what society should be all about. That's, I but like hearing mother. that. That's nice. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, my mother came from a, a, a very politically conservative and in social issues conservative background. Yeah. Interesting life. Oh gosh, I'll say. So, the Rainbow Community now, who we all are now, the fact that we all have coffee together, it's no big deal, we sit together amongst, amongst others, it's not just us. Mm. How do you think we've come so far and how do you hope for the future? I think that in, in, in some areas it's Im, improved, but I'm, I don't know, I, I, I sort of feel that we're sort of going a bit further backwards in terms of... Um, uh, you think we're going backwards? I, I, I think, well, I think society... Uh, uh, I'm talking about Trentham at, at the moment. I think most people would ignore me, whereas previously they would have at least acknowledged me. I guess anybody who knew me in Trentham would know my situation my your story yeah you know, and no my story and then that i had a male partner and not a female partner yeah and and most of them you know accept me you know, i think there's a few who don't but now there's not as much friendliness as i said if you walk down the street now and you sort of look they'll almost look through you um, That's really sad, Bob. Mm. I can see the shift as well. Good. Right, I'm bet I'm not the only one. And there, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Mm. But yeah, I can I hear you? I've been going through all the Spudfest stuff because I'm, you know, I interviewed you last year, and I'm still working on that podcast. You know, part of the impetus for the Spudfest, which you were obviously a major instigator of. Major was because it was small town, there wasn't a well, lot on, and it was to bring the community together. Yeah, well, at, at that point I was president of Charter, and, you know, we'd had the fire, you sort of overrode at the Cosmo, at the Cosmo yeah. and that was um, still being got together, you sort of, until, you know, and Rod eventually, you know, did a marvellous job in, in getting 
resurrecting it going again and Spudfest just came out of that because you sort of the community was really struggling Trentham was was struggling you know, sort of in lots of ways and, and Spudfest was to try to get the community together in a project just sort of you know, bring um, people together and, mm. and I think it worked well it sure did it <laughs> sure did because I came in at the height of Spudfest I opened the cafe it was a big part of it uh, it was a big big thing for me anyway what I'm, I'm really curious Bob because I, I understand what you're saying I uh, absolutely feel that there's been a, a shift and a difference in the community. Do you think that that is COVID related? What do you think? Well, COVID certainly didn't help as far as that no. is concerned. No. Yeah, there's no doubt about yeah. that. But it's just sort of, it, it's also people coming from well, we'll say probably mainly from Melbourne. Urban areas. Uh, yeah. Who haven't, you know, sort of had the. Um, it may be a Transition into a small yes. town. Yeah. You must notice. I notice. I notice and I have to be very, very careful because, in my observation, um, it's a bit like we've, we've got an urban climate coming up mm. that want everything that they have access to in the city without understanding the country vibe, the essence, the mm. slow, the looking at people, the making mm. a connection yeah. with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very much coffee. It's so different. It's not it's no longer this banter through rooms in a space amongst locals. It's really interesting, you can tell whatever cafe you go into, and we generally go here or yeah. Eric's, yeah. and you can just walk in and you go, yep, local's good. Yeah. Because it is a different vibe. Yeah. And that's why at the weekends you tend not to go out because... Yeah. From a cafe perspective, if you're not a tourism cafe, you don't have tourists in on weekends. So more you than die. anything you want the locals. Yeah. More than anything, because they're the people that keep you afloat. But yeah, you can't get a park. No. Because there's just not enough car. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's not go political. We get into trouble. Yeah. But, but, but it's that thing that it's interesting because pre Spudfest and or that yeah, time, yeah, this all the small towns were dying. But you had that community. Yeah. As towns, as things have turned round. A lot of small towns have started to thrive economically. It's very easy for people to get pushed aside who, who may not be valued by too, though yeah. that yeah. contributors, i.e., that. And Bob's not just a customer in my cafe yeah. anymore. Bob's a friend that I will check in on if I'm genuinely concerned that we're losing that connection. So yeah. It, worries me that you're right Bob but no one should be invisible in their own community and this is exactly why we're doing this is to hear your story because you are so important and you're important to me and you've been on my hit list for this interview right since day one and I want to say thank you for coming and sharing and sharing emotional 
um, stuff as well because it's never easy to talk about yourself and I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, thank, thank you, you Bob. Thanks. Just a last word from local potato farmers, Bernie and Rosalie, who have known Bob for many years and worked with him on the Spudfest Festival from the beginning. But at the last Spudfest, I went up to Bob White and I said to him, look at what one man's brain can do. The place was just full of people. Mm. He... Bob hadn't have thought of it. It would never have eventuated. And look mm. what it is now. Yeah, look at what it is mm. now. Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you by us, Rosie Hill and Mel Thomas. It is produced in the Hepburn Shire, Jajawarong country, soon to be the land of the big rainbow. We thank you, our listeners, for listening. We would especially like to thank our guests who have agreed to be interviewed. It isn't something we take for granted, and we deeply appreciate their trust in us and bringing their story to you. We hope our conversations have inspired you. But if it has also raised uncomfortable feelings or recalled difficult events in your own life, please reach out for support. Some ways available for help are Gay and Lesbian Switchboard, Rainbow Door, 1800 729 367. Also, SMS and email support are available. Lifeline, 131114. And Beyond Blue, 1300 224 636.